when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hi, everybody, and uh, what's uh, not terrible, Internet? I am Danielle Riendo. There you go. I'm You've here. got your own catchphrase. You nailed I it. I did it. I did it. Well, I felt like, you know, Austin's not here today because he's actually at an event. So I felt like I can't say what's good, Internet. That's his thing. You know, I can't steal from Austin. That would stress me out. Actually, yeah. like the yeah. thought of having to like he's got a catchphrase and then as someone else has to co-host, they do you do you have to have a catchphrase? Is that part of the template of the podcast? I feel like maybe it is because we have such a it's like a ritual. Like there's a count and there's a what's good Internet. But now there's also a what's not terrible Internet. So uh, also, you know. I'm going to I'm gonna have to work on my own. I'm going to start thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah, this took weeks. This was weeks of preparation. Workshopping involved, too. Exactly. Yeah, like- Workshopping involved. I'm Danielle Riendo. I am joined by a very special co-host today. This is Nico from the Internet. Yes. Hi. I'm a denizen of the Internet. Uh, people might know me uh, on Twitter as Apple Cider Witch. Uh, I've also written for Pace Games and Kotaku. And, and us. And us. Uh, Nico wrote some awesome fan fiction at the end of uh, last year. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was pretty cool. For the Waypoint High event, it was uh, a really a really good time. Uh, it was great getting to uh, write about cool video game ladies, you know, being uh, teens. We're also joined by Patrick Klebik, senior reporter here at Waypoint. How you doing, Patrick? I'm doing good. I'm here. I'm here. How was your weekend? What did you do? Do anything fun? Do anything cool? Uh, you know, you're always discovering things as a father. You're discovering uh, when your child is going to be terrible. When will it be terrible? <laughs> we had our first uh, our first long distance car ride, which oh. I feel like I think like long distance is like more than t- more than two hours, maybe yeah. three hours. And this was a, a six seven hour uh, adventure. So you discover things like, you know, your kid wants to get out of his seat. But you can't take them out of their seat because it is like literally against the law. Yeah. So they just scream and you, your wife and you sit there and you stare forward and you wonder how you got to this place, <laughs> what choices led you to this moment. To and, sh- and you look over her and there are tears streaming down her face and you feel terrible. But then you feel thankful that she will not remember any of this or maybe she will. <laughs> and this will come up in therapy at some point. They're like, I remember at five months old, my parents... Did not console me, and they made me so. sit in a seat for seven <laughs> they made me, hours. They made me sit in a seat for six hours. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was it, it, it was it was otherwise pretty fine. Uh, she she was uh, fussy for a little while, but otherwise we we survived to head to Minnesota to uh, visit with some family and, uh, and 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 largely get away from video games. I brought with my uh, PlayStation VR, thinking that some folks might want to. Uh, mess with that, but there were too many kids uh, where we went, and they were destructive. So we decided oh, to no. not bring out the VR. Yep, probably in, a smart in hopes choice. Of not destroying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very, very wise. Uh, yeah, I didn't play many games this weekend. Did you play anything, Nico, or anything? Anything cool happening? Uh, I've I've been in New York City, so I've actually been away from the video games because I don't have any of my my consoles or my PC with me. Uh, I've just been soaking in the New York City culture and the oh, food, and yeah. that's you know, I mean, like that's a grand video game in and of itself. Is how much can I eat, physically consume in the like four days that I'm here in New York City? That's a good plan. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of good food here. Oh, absolutely, just the top, best in the world. Like among, yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. It's it was it's nice coming back to the East Coast. It's nice to have a proper decent slice of pizza, a decent <laughs> hot dog. And uh, and decent bagels again versus uh, the Midwest. So. I understand. Well, you're from not too far from where Patrick is. Oh uh, no, yeah, as I understand. I, uh, I'm from the Milwaukee uh, area, and uh, but I'm a transplant from the East Coast. So it's uh, it's been a little bit of a transition to uh, come from some of the best 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 pizza and hot dogs in the world to 
whatever they like to serve in Chicago. So, you know. Wow. I'm just not going to touch that one. I'm just going to. That's, that's, that's what we call bait. Um, and I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take it. You know? Uh, that's wise. It's already, it's already, it's already so incendiary on the internet. It has been a rough weekend for a lot of people. I know. I'm not. I am not going to drag myself into another uh, needless fight. I'm not going to do it. So I'm just going to let you. You're allowed to have your opinions. I respect your opinions, and I will allow other people to judge you for those opinions. And I will just, I will leave it alone. You know. That's fair. I, I know. I didn't mean to get so opinions. political this early in the morning about pizza. You know, <sighs> I, I think we should all enjoy pizza how we want. That's what our great country is about. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's about pizza, pizza the way you want. Yeah, pizza the way you want. That's the American yeah. way. Is is pizza your way? The Burger King way? Your way? I yeah. don't know. Everybody's way. Whatever toppings, whatever crust, you know, thickness. No pineapple, though. I'm not no willing pineapple. to defend that. No, no pineapple. We can Those people with that. their Hawaiian pizzas with their pineapple, get out of here. <laughs> no. Right, if you're Hawaiian, it's fine. But all you other people getting on this pineapple bandwagon, no pineapple on a pizza. I, d- I just don't. I can't deal with it. I can't deal with pineapple on a pizza. I'm glad we agree on something. You know, we can yeah. find our compromise there. Is, yeah. is is fuck pineapple on a pizza. Reach oh, across the aisle with the mm-hmm. pineapple. That's hating. so beautiful. I'm like uh, tears are coming from my eyes right now. Uh, tears of beauty and strength and happiness over pizza unity. Good. It's good. It's a good thing. You know, when two people can agree. On beautiful pizza. When two pizzas uh, can agree. <laughs> two pizzas. We find Standing in the night, you know, holding holding hands, holding crust. It's really it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful time. Yeah, you know, some people, you know, I'm sure some parents worry about having a conversation about the birds and the bees. I'm scared about having a conversation of deep dish versus thin crust pizza oh. with my child, and I don't, I just don't, I don't know where she'll end up on that argument, and uh, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm I'm going to uh, give her propaganda. I'm going Good. to brainwash her into the deep dish lifestyle, and I will not allow those those thin crust insurgents to to try and Ooh, take this away from me. Fighting words. We just <laughs> mended yeah. some fences, Patrick. We just mended some fences. Burned and- them right down. <laughs> I burned. Well, what did you do this weekend? I Danielle? slept a lot. I played a lot of Punch Club, but we talked about that last week uh, on the podcast. So I won't. I won't go on and on about Punch Club. I watched my girlfriend play a ton of Yakuza. Oh, that's definitely a thing that I did. And I know Patrick that you are. You're definitely enjoying this game. I watched you enjoy some of this game recently. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm not f- uh, familiar with the Yakuza games, other than they involve Yakuzas. Uh, <laughs> is that? Is that is that is that is that the plural of no yakuza? yakuza. Is the plural. Yeah, <laughs> a, gag, is plural. a gaggle of yakuzas. A gaggle, a gaggle of yakuza. A, a murder of yakuza. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I I don't know. Like I, my I guess I didn't have a great sense of what that series even was, and then once it got I don't know what, what felt like seven games deep, uh, it, it felt like oh maybe that's just a series that you know the ship sort of sailed for me, and I I just wasn't really paying attention to it. And I'm not I'm not sure what. Uh, sort of allowed for this moment where Yakuza Zero, it just feels like the series is kind of having a moment here in in the U.S. I think maybe it's partially um, because there's just not as much out right now, um, and so you know between that sort of Gravity Rush, Resident Evil Seven, and Yakuza Zero, those are like pretty different games, and so it's kind of giving Yakuza sort of a, an opportunity to sort of breathe and and get some attention in a way that I, I feel like it hasn't had before, and also. I remember when Sega brought over the original uh, Yakuza, like, they got, you know, like, some all-star cast. Like, they paid a ton of money to get, like, these, these like, notable actors and actresses like Michael Madsen, I believe, and all these others to, to, to do work in Yakuza. Cause, and they pitched it as, like, serious Japanese uh, crime drama. And <laughs> that kind of was what always got stuck in my head about what the series was. And then over time, you know, what I realized was, like, yeah, I guess there is sort of like a serious crime drama happening, but also like you can go and shut down a high school illegal panty ring and like all these <laughs> other weird fucking <laughs> things that are in this series. And and sort of the absurdist humor, uh the the sort of uh just it's just it's just ridiculous in a way that I that part is what I found really interesting and 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 fascinating. Like I just had uh, a sequence early on where you introduced to you know, there are two playable characters in Yakuza Zero, and so I spent a, you spent a first uh, couple hours with one, and now I just introduced the second who runs a um, 
uh, a cabaret, like sort of, you know, there's a, there's a band and there are, are girls that hang out with sort of these wealthy Japanese businessmen that, that come in. And he's the manager of the club. And one of the guys gets uh, a little uh, touchy-feely with one of the girls. And the, the place has a no-touching uh, rule. It's a, it's a respectable establishment for wealthy <laughs> Japanese men to come and hang out with beautiful women. But uh, the guy wants to get into a fight with the manager. And the manager, your your character, uh, he has a, um, a a policy of the customer is king, and that means even though the man wants to fight him, he will not lay a finger on him and fight back. And so, uh, to teach you like some dodge mechanics, like you are, <laughs> it says, I wish I had the photos, but it says like, remember, the customer is king. You are not allowed to fight this man. You are, you must respect the customer even when they are wrong. And so you have to dodge him a couple of times. <laughs> And there's all these elaborate cutscenes where he is unwilling to fight this man, even though he has caused such a disruption for. And it's just he, while he's doing that, he's instructing his band to play like music so he can get into the beat, so he can dodge properly. It's just, it, it's it's an absurd game in in a way that I, I've really jives with my my sense of humor, and it's it's also nice. Um, I always appreciate getting a chance to sort of understand what people appreciate about a series that. I just didn't know anything about, and so even though I don't play any other Yakuza games, I feel like by playing this one, at least I can kind of say, right, like, I get why people are so bananas for some of these games. Yeah, I've just been really enjoying the that tone and also enjoying, uh, there was a piece on the site by Heidi Kemps a couple of days ago about how Yakuza 0 really captures a very, very specific time and place, and that's like bubble Japan, like economic bubble Japan of, you know, money just being everywhere, just just flooding the streets, you know, these these wealthy folks who are just like, you know, throwing cash at cab yeah, cab drivers and things like that, and this, you know, the style and the sort of, you know, culture of excess and, and pleasure, basically, that was the 80s in Japan, or at least mm-hmm. in these sort of, like, nightclub districts uh, mm-hmm. in, in Osaka and, and Tokyo, which is, is really kind of fascinating to me. I, I love that when a game is, like, all about being somewhere, you know, sort of really feeling sort of the, the vibe of a place in time. That's a, that's a, that's a key key gameplay, you know, yeah, well, goal for me. <laughs> yeah, you feel like it kind of, I think it really helps with kind of the immersive aspect of, not, you're not just focusing on the gameplay, you're also like, oh, hey, I feel like I could really be here, I could be really seeing these things, and it, it kind of gives you more of a, a sense of depth versus like, yo, I'm just going around punching guys. No, I actually feel like this is a time and a place that I could be, and so you can get into that mindset real quickly. It's really cool. It's pretty. Yeah, I mean, rad. even though it's uh, it's it's absurdist and 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 exaggerated, it also feels like it's capturing some flavor of the the place and, and time and and what it was like in Japan. You know, I, I'm sort of spitball on there, but I feel like when when I'm playing it, like I feel like I'm getting some sense of it, even if in the context of it is something absurd and wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it feels like it is capturing something uh, very real, even if it's doing it through satire and comedy, and and that's mm-hmm. cool. I mean, like you have a pager in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a throwback. One four three. Yeah, you know that's what you had to always uh, always yeah, send over. Yeah, that's. I mean, like I can imagine a bunch of yakuza just texting each other. One four three. Yeah, yeah. One four like, three. They love each other, bro. Yes, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's very beautiful. Speaking of loving each other, bro. Uh, Nico, you are a huge Overwatch fan. Yeah. I know you are big into the Overwatch community. You're into the fan community. I, w- I was hoping you could give us, like, a missive from a miss- the Overwatch. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> letters in the field. The Overwatch field. Oh, well, uh, I mean, like, right now, what's going on in the Overwatch community, the uh, Lunar New Year Festival is, huh. is on, the event uh, for Overwatch, uh, along with all of the other Lunar New Year events that are happening in all the Blizzard games, because Blizzard has now has so many games that it can actually do like uh, events across all their games. And so uh, for Overwatch in particular, uh, we're celebrating the year of the rooster, uh, which is really cool. A bunch of characters got brand new skins. So people are having like a a ton of fun, like running around. uh, Like the thing that's kind of being talked about uh, a lot in the community right now is that uh, Anna has gotten a, very uh, scary-looking mask that oh. you know. If you play Anna and she's a sni- she's a sniper ki- uh, healer character, and she will put people to sleep. And one of her highlight intros for the character is her like peering over your body and then like doing <laughs> a shush motion to you. Oh, and my. now she has this like creepy <laughs> smile mask on. 
which is like I I found that like so uh, hilarious. But it actually is from uh, Korean culture. It's part of like a big uh, sort of traditional. Uh, series of like drama that they do with masks, like drama and comedy and stuff like that. So it's actually been really cool to see kind of the cultural touches that uh, are happening in Overwatch. Like uh, May got a bunch of new skins, which everybody is super happy about because a lot of people were like really riled up that she got like a recolor for the Christmas event. Um, Diva also got a really cool new skin for her and her mech. She's dressed in a uh, a handbok, uh, and her mech is all like decked out to look like uh, a, a pelican, which is uh, you know a way of like carrying people around like on a litter. Sure. But her mech is her pelican, so she's like it's all like uh, decorated with like uh, just cool like little doodads and stuff on it. Um, but mostly it's just been uh, like yeah, like really cool sprays. They added a new um, map. Uh, like a map mode, which is basically capture the flag, but it's called capture the rooster. Perfect. Yeah, I always want to capture the rooster. Yeah, you I know, mean, that's like, what I do. Yeah, in my it's, life. it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. Uh, for people that played a lot of like Unreal tournament sure. and stuff like that, like the capture the flag mode is like very popular for that sort of reason. Uh, Have you been playing much of it? Are you enjoying it? Um, yes and no, because I'm not a traditional uh, FPS player, so it's been a little bit difficult for me because I'm just like. Capture the flag, oh, oh my gosh, I have, like, no touchstones for this other than, like, uh, World of Warcraft PvP, sure. so it needs some tweaking from a okay. design standpoint, because Overwatch maps are designed in such a way that they make fight engagement really clear and good for the 6v6 aspect, uh, and that sort of thing. But for Capture the Flag, the maps are very, it's a lot smaller. So you kind of run the risk of people like just overwhelming you really quickly. And it's got some things changed with it. Like you don't have to, uh, you don't have to get the enemy team to drop their flag before you can capture. So it's basically a race to like who can capture three flags first. So that's hmm. also a little different. And, uh, Right now, Symmetra is kind of the dominant hero for this this Interesting, because isn't she less... I, yeah. I, I don't... I'm not an expert. <laughs> this is me just, you know, I'm reading Twitter for, for people who are really into Overwatch, but I always thought she was one of the least used characters. She was, and then she got her, like, big update where she has, like, a floatable shield, and her beam and her sentries all have longer range, and so think of it this way. So the map is a lot smaller and the the flag is in a confined area and the flag requires you to not be taking damage when you pick it up. So imagine running into a very tiny room and having all six beams just sort of melt you into a puddle <laughs> as you're trying to capture the flag. And you can sort of imagine why Symmetra is very, very strong on ooh, this ooh, mode. OP. Is that the term OP? Am yeah, I doing it right? OP? Okay, a little good. OP. Good. A little OP. She's yeah. like, a tiny bit OP. Yeah, tiny honest. bit OP. Uh, so that's kind of what's been going on with Overwatch. I mean, it's I've been having a lot of fun with uh, all the new skins and things like that. Uh, I mean... Everybody's hot for Zenyatta now. It's yes, Zenyatta yeah. got hot. I know that was Zenhata. Was Zenhata, yeah. Danica <laughs> was talking about in chat. We were doing, you know. Ooh. Oh no, <laughs> we've upset Patrick. Yeah, it, it's like no more robots. No more. No, I can't deal with it. Well, wait, we were we were thinking about it, and we all know that Bastion fucks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's know the Bastion, waypoint. Fucks, you know, yeah. that's like right up there. Mm-hmm. It's you know, pro populio Bastion fucks. Like those are our main points. Uh, of action here uh-huh. at Waypoint. Um, and so we were like, oh, Zenyatta may be who Bastion was fucking this whole time. Maybe that's what's going on. Now Zenyatta's feeling all hot. Yeah. He's- and so it's like, I'm showing my true colors now. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. that's what's going on. I know you're really into the fan aspect of this mm-hmm. and the pairings aspect yes. of this. So I don't know how you feel about this very in-depth theory that we definitely well, spent hours I, on. I'm going to have to, I'm going to be a little conflicted here because while I do like to support the Waypoint, you know, fanfic, fanfic crew <laughs> 2017, right. um, you know, I like to support the theory that Zenyatta and Bastion could fuck. Like, I, you know, I'm down with that yeah. but it seems like the pop what's going on <laughs> what's going on <laughs> i feel like i blacked out and i just woke up somewhere no, oh, no. what did i do last night bastion you the did bastion bastion last night what did bastion do last night 
just drank too much motor oil. You know, it was a real scene. Like, you know. No, <laughs> no, no continue, yep. please. No, continue. So the popular pairing for Zenyatta is actually Zenyatta Genji, also known as Genyatta. Genyatta. Genyatta is the, the pairing mm. name. Okay. And with the new update, I mean, that's just added more fuel to the Genyatta fire, as far oh. as I'm seeing. I mean, like, everybody's all about that, like, hot masked robot on robot ninja action so that's pretty hot yeah i mean know. like they're both good. beautiful sort of robots sort of ai sort of cyborgs you know whatever you know you want to call them they it's, have a lot in common yeah, yeah they do they do they have i mean like zinyata is genji's um sort of a spiritual master in a lot of ways i mean you can kind of see this just writes itself, really. It really I mean, does. Yeah. yeah, it truly does. Yeah, really. How do you feel in general? I have always wanted to ask these questions of a of an Overwatch fan leader. That's what I'm going to call you now. Okay, cool. Uh, an Overwatcher. I, how do you feel about less popular pairings? Do you get like mad, or are you kind of like, no, you know, everybody gets their their say? Like, what's the most unpopular pairing that you think of? And oh. how do you how do you, like? Are you kind of like us? Oh, I it's I think that I think there's always for me um obviously I have my favorites. Right, you can you can you can show your true colors here. I mean okay so I'm gonna gonna we're go. for mercy all the way. I know this, we're for mercy. That's the thing is I gotta come in. I'm really for Simfera. Okay. Yeah, but you know what? Ferris got two hands. One for Mercy, one for Symmetra. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, she... <laughs> That's the name of the podcast. Right there. <laughs> she got two <laughs> hands. So, they could be all holding hands, you yeah. know? Like... That's where you're going with it. Okay. I am a very pure and virtuous woman. They're holding hands, Good. walking in the park, I'm having glad. a nice day out. But yeah, any... Put your hands where we can see them, <laughs> Ladies, please. <laughs> like, I, um, for me. That's what a dad would say. You're being dad. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> for me, it's always, um, I can always be sold on whatever people give me kind of a justification for. If people can give me kind of like a really good uh, sort of hook to it, I'll read the fanfic. I'll look at the fan art. Like, I, I love fan art of, of pairings that are not even really like my favorite um, just because I feel like. There's so many talented artists and writers yeah, in the Overwatch yeah. community that are just doing some really great stuff. So, I mean, if you want to do a you know a rare a rare pair, as it were, <laughs> of whatever you find really cool and interesting, like you know, if you put your heart into it, I'm like really down with it. Uh, and that kind of goes for all sorts of pairings in in the Overwatch community. I mean, like the Fem Slash in particular. Everybody's with everybody. I I'm totally digging it. Obviously, I do have my favorites. Um, yeah, like, I really wish that Symmetra and Farah got more love because I feel like they're really awesome and I'm kind of really digging on, like, Sombra and Widowmaker. Also, oh, also really... Yeah, but That's I also, pretty rad, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the... It's, um... Well, technically, it's called Talon Talon OT3 because it's Reaper Widowmaker Sombra, so that's oh, also... my. Very spicy, very spicy. Very, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like... But for me, as long as you have kind of, like, passion behind it and it's not, like, something kind of, you know, like, there's some definitely some things that I'm like, ah, it's a little weird. I don't, I'm not, so how, <laughs> not sure how I feel about that. But you know what? I There's room for everybody in the Overwatch community. So. That is the beauty of it. Yeah. That is the beauty. Yeah, I'm totally cool with what people want to, to ship for the most part as long as it's, like, you know, if you just give me a good reason uh, and come up with something creative, like, I'll totally read it. I'll totally look at it. You know, it's just, you know, everybody. everybody everybody's inclusive. allowed. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's allowed. allowed into this beautiful club. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> I, I love that. I've... If people are like me and extremely lost <laughs> about what's happening right now. Where like about but seriously like where would one start if they thought like I want like where is this stuff happening like my gut response is like I don't know just go to Tumblr but like that's not an answer like what like if people are interested in the fan community like where would you recommend they start uh, if they want to like see you know some of what you're talking about where some of these conversations oh, okay are so I have a couple places that I like to go because I do like to keep up on this for obviously writing purposes and you know also my own morbid curiosity uh it's just kind of uh so usually like Twitter it's a little bit harder because it's more disparate you know people are kind of just having conversations amongst themselves and stuff like that so yeah I would go to Tumblr I 
the thing that took me a really long time to get about Tumblr is that the tagging system is is a bit busted, but that's how fandoms engage with Tumblr is through the tagging system. Apparently, it's a thing where if you are into something like say, yeah, say you're into, you know, Simfera, that name like that that so that, you just put the hashtag you just put hashtag Simfera yeah. and you can see it as it updates and and you know people are adding stuff to the tag so that's a good place to start and you start adding artists and writers to you know your following thing now if you want to get the fanfic oh you want to get into the fanfic you're gonna have to go to archive of our own which is a fanfic archive repository Ooh. that's where all of the overwatch fan fiction pretty much is uh, it's I. You can read most of the fan fiction uh, without having a login because it's still um, limited membership. Like you have to like sign up for it, and they'll send you like an invite if they have like slots open for it to actually be like a writer and to like you know be able to write stuff on the site. But if somebody has made their uh, fan fiction public, you can read it there. Again, also tagging. It's also available by tagging. And the tagging system for AO3 is actually very robust and uh, allows people to kind of not only put what pairing is involved, uh, but also any, like, content warnings or things of that nature. So, you know, if you just want to read about, you know, Symmetra and Farrah having a nice day, having a picnic, holding hands, holding walking hands, in the park, walking you know, in the park, as, you, can as read, you, said. you can read those mm, kinds yeah, of fan that's fictions. What they, that's, yeah, that's what the kids yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, if yeah, if you want to read those huh. kinds of fan fiction, that kind of fan fiction, you can just look for that kind of stuff, you know, versus... G-rated versus... G-rated versus X-rated, X-rated yeah. and stuff like that, yes. Yeah, so it's uh, that's where I'm finding most of the fandom so far. Uh, just yeah, like Twitter, Tumblr, AO3. If you, you're really hardcore into fan fiction, but like for me, it's always been if you find one person that's really into Overwatch. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Random stuff, they will give you a whole lot more people to, like start following <laughs> and then it just sort of like So this would be snowballs. a good intro for somebody yeah. like, oh, I'm going to look over here for Bastion, whatever it yeah, is, like, yeah. whatever character you like. Yeah. And then you t- type it in, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I never knew that about Bastion. Yeah, I never know? knew, you know, and then you can just sort of start to build a following and follow people that are doing the like kind of fan art and critical analysis. There is actually a lot of critical analysis and sort of uh, meta posts about how people feel about the story elements, what oh, they're kind of thinking about like i've definitely read a lot of like great stuff uh about how people think about like where reaper's really from or how they feel about you know mercy's involvement with overwatch and stuff like that so it's not fan fiction it's actually people sort of going well here's what we know about these characters but what if it's like this and speculation and stuff like that so you can get a lot of that too there's also some pretty decent posts on the on the overwatch reddit is subreddit as well which you know i'm always a little hesitant to talk about reddit but, sometimes you know, Reddit's sometimes Reddit's okay, yeah. and the Overwatch uh, the Overwatch subreddit. Uh, sometimes you can find some interesting speculation posts as well. Nice. There as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think it's I think what's fascinating about Overwatch and sort of the community that developed around it is that it seems, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a lot of it's allowed it to flourish, and a lot of what has made it flourish is sort of the vagueness and the speculatory aspect. Whereas we live in an age in which most sort of like mythology canon story is like so overwrought and detailed and like everything is prepackaged for you and there's a comic and like there's and obviously Overwatch has some of this stuff but it seems like a lot of what Blizzard has kind of allowed their community to define the terms of like what's happening and then working within that and in reaction mm-hmm. to it as opposed to here's the bible here's how things are and that's just the way it is which is it just seems like that's how a lot of fiction these days is is developed and it seems like that probably has a lot to do with why that community has been you know so so mm-hmm. widespread yeah I, I mean i absolutely agree it's it's interesting because blizzard does have a really long history of providing 
really intense lore and sort of interconnected stories for their properties. But Overwatch at its heart is a first-person shooter, so they haven't had a place to really stick that story in. So we're getting it in little, like, drips and drabs and trickles, and a lot of it's not filled in. So, yeah, it really does give fans that opportunity to, you know, color in the lines, as it were, uh, to this very compelling story that has just enough framework, just enough characterization for people to really kind of sink their hooks into. Yeah, I, that's the thing that's always been most interesting to me about about uh, Overwatch. Even though I, you know, I played the game and enjoyed it, and the reason why I put it in my sort of top ten list last year was just this sort of just beautiful, fascinating, inclusive community of people oh, yeah. who, who love this thing and love these characters, and it's been. It's been really fun to to see it grow. Yeah, I think, personally. I've never been. I never really had gotten into a fandom before. Like I, you know, for for a lot of years, I was just like, I don't know how to engage with this. Sure. I don't watch TV shows or play video games in such a way that like kind of lends me to getting into this stuff. And then Overwatch happened, and then my entire life changed. I started writing fan fiction. I started doing fan art. And beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a beautiful like, drug. It just changed my life. It just... It's either, like, the best thing that happened to you or the worst thing that happened Only to you. Only time will tell. Depends on the day. A little bit of both. A little bit of column A. A little bit of comedy. Uh, also, like, fan, fan, fandoms are intimidating. Are. Like, I, I feel like there, there are probably a fair number of people that, like, once a fandom develops, um, like, I could see it being difficult for someone that gets trying to get into it now, like, finding your way yeah. in is a lot more difficult than when, you know, you were part of Overwatch at the beginning and you were part of defining what the fandom yeah, even was yeah. as opposed to now when cliques and groups and ideas have already formed. And certainly we see a lot of that stuff sort of pan out, mm-hmm. you know, when different changes happen to characters and new story elements are introduced. Like, you see a lot of that stuff clash in a way that can maybe make it intimidating to even become a part of that community, given that it's already so defined. Oh in yeah, some ways. for sure. Like I mean, the the whole thing with the like the Genji and the Mercy voice lines that was a huge thing because for uh, a lot of fans, it had already sort of been uh, a very contentious point between you know the Genji Mercy people and the you know Mercy Pharaoh people, and what did this all mean and are these two Valentine's Day lines an indication of, like, a relationship stuff? And, you know, uh, why is Mercy falling in love with Genji? She's a doctor. She shouldn't do that. That's unethical, you know? And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, that's that's the part of the fandom that I have a little bit more trouble sort of, like, sure. <laughs> engaging with. Because, you know, on the other hand, it's like, I, I feel, you know, I'm 34. And I'm just like, okay, I do like the pretendy fun time, like, stories and the art and stuff but sometimes I'm just like you know what I like to analyze this from a critical perspective because I'm a media critic and I'm a writer uh but you know sometimes I gotta take that step back and realize that like a lot of people have have agreed on certain fandom elements being now quote-unquote true and they're not true by the you know word of god as it were in the (laughs) blizzard game you know but it's yeah those elements i think are a little bit harder to deal with if you're just coming into fandom for the first time and there's they definitely scared me when i first got into overwatch you know like i'm not gonna get into a fight with somebody about like mccree or whatever you know like it's just kind (laughs) of gotta take a step back (laughs) yeah uh, healthy, healthy moderation. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Things you enjoy. As yeah, always. you know, like at, at the end of the day, it should all be about you know us all having fun and all enjoying the game. Yeah. So you know, enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. I like that. So Nico, uh, we're gonna take a, a little dip, just a little dip into that question bucket. Since you're our special mm. guest, would you like to pick a number between one and oh, good lord? <laughs> uh, that's not a. That's oh, not a. That's like a hundred and. Seven, a hundred, and something like that. Wow. You, you got a lot of numbers. Oh, okay. wow, there's okay. a lot of numbers so, here. So I'm trying to think of what. Uh, what's a good number? Uh, I'm gonna say seventy-two. <laughs> I just stopped there as I was scrolling. Oh. This is this is beautiful. Good. We're All on right. the same page today. <laughs> uh, we really are. Okay, this comes in from Donovan. All right, Donovan from Eugene, Oregon. Here, I asked this question to Austin during his AMA on Reddit. I thought it could provide some interesting discussion here. Some of the largest stories in history have been rogue journalists leaking information for the benefit of the public. Watergate, NSA leaks, etc. But recent examples in the video game industry have been stories like the PS4 Pro or hidden Ubisoft trailers leaking through anonymous sources, often to the detriment of a larger company. 
These, in my opinion, are relatively trivial revelations in the larger scheme of things. Personally, I could wait a few weeks to learn about an announcement rather than have somebody else face serious disciplinary action, lose a job, etc. Maybe uh, that's me being a bit too empathetic, but keeping a relationship with sources is a big part of journalism as a whole, and those relationships can be very easily hurt. My question is, when publishing uh, information that could potentially lead to lost jobs, in what situation do you think it's acceptable to publish leaked information, and what is your personal method for determining if something is important enough to break trust and publish against an authority figure's wishes, especially if a certain story could hurt your publication's relationship with them? Thanks for the show. Becoming their go-to for gaming podcasts. Donovan. Uh, It's a heavy one. (laughs) That's a big question. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Uh, I mean, I think uh, you know one of my as someone that has engaged in in this over over the years. Uh, well, one like I'm extremely protective of my yeah. sources. Um, uh, I I, ha- I pass on publishing the vast majority of information that I know or talk about because I work very specifically with my sources to vet what they feel comfortable sharing, what details of that, right? So maybe a story that I'll write won't include a lot of details that I'd like to include because those details might be incriminating. Uh, So, for example, uh, uh, with the PlayStation 4 uh, Pro, when I broke that story, um, one of the sources I spoke with uh, was aware of the code name for it but asked me to not include it. I would have liked to have said that because it, just having those sorts of tiny details add color to to a piece um, and give people a, a sense of sometimes what the company is thinking about something by naming a prototype that uh, or giving a code name to something. But uh, sometimes what companies will do is uh, code names are given out as watermarking of information. So a code name be, may be given to one set of people in a meeting and a different code name is given <laughs> Man, to another set yeah. of people in a different meeting. And then if that code name uh, comes up, that's a way of watermarking information and finding some way to plug a leak. So that so I we, we I agreed with my source. Let's not include that because that I, I – no story – well, I won't say no story, but like in in the most things I work with, like no story is worth um, uh, a someone losing their job or or, or other things being in jeopardy. Um, you know, often I am not dealing with humanitarian crises, right. right? You know, I think things are different. If maybe you were reporting on labor practices or things like that, and then things get a little different in terms of sort of what the ethical guidelines are and and when you would choose to 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 or not to publish information. Um, but like, for example, the PlayStation 4 Pro story, which he cites as maybe something like, why couldn't you have just waited and let the company announce it? Uh, for me, uh, the, uh, I do think about that all the time. I, I don't just publish information to be anarchistic, to, to just publish to publish. I, I always try and think in terms of the public good. And for the PlayStation 4 Pro, um, my understanding was that the PlayStation 4 Pro's rollout was going to be timed with, you know, there was the PlayStation 4 uh, Slim. There were price cuts that were happening. Um, the existence of a machine coming in 2016 that was going to reshuffle how the PlayStation 4 existed has a direct impact on someone or could have a direct impact on someone that wants to yeah. purchase that machine. Where the existence of the Pro may make you think, well, yeah, I was going to buy one today, but if there's this better one coming out, I'll just wait for the fall. And so I I think that is worthy consumer information when they where they can make a better purchase by having that information. It may disrupt the marketing campaign uh, of Sony and their and their rollout of this, um, but I think as a consumer, you are better off knowing that plan so that you can uh, budget and and make uh, sort of expectations accordingly. And so I thought it was worthy to publish it in addition to the fact that that's a major disruption in how consoles have been rolled out and and sort of how uh, hardware is thought of in terms of, you know, four, five, six, seven-year generational gaps. Um, so all that kind of goes – I mean I'm rambling at this point because I put a lot of thought into this. And so I don't good. think that doesn't yeah. make me yeah. immune to criticism for stories that I publish. Um, but I am very careful about that. I, I am – uh, I have complicated feelings about just publishing uh, X game is in development. Um, I do think it's important to push back against sort of uh, the the culture of secrecy that the video game industry has where, uh, you know, a big name sequel is in development. It's not a big deal for that to be <laughs> It's usually right? no like, shit. Know, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, look at, look at film. Like, we know Marvel and DC's, like, comic slate for what feels like the next 10 years. It might <laughs> yeah, actually be the it next really 10 is. years if you <laughs> look at it. Um, like the idea that like th- they're going to make another Fallout is not a big deal, which is why I think Bethesda responded to – they were very angry at Kotaku for uh, – I was not involved in these publications, but the, the the leaking of a new Fallout game. And then 
the it seemed I mean I can't t- you know I, I can't say this directly led to this, but you saw very quickly then um, in the last year that Bethesda saying we're going to make another Elder Scrolls game. We're not sure when, we're not sure how it's all going to line up, but obviously we're going to make another Elder Scrolls game. And like no no shit, like <laughs> yes, you're going to make another Elder Scrolls game. And so I think often sometimes. Um, places like Kotaku would would leak that information because it was it was ridiculous that you would have Ubisoft or Activision not just saying very early like of course we're making another Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed game and it's coming out in November because that's what they've always done but then they put their you know their fingers <laughs> in their ears and pretend like la 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 we haven't announced it which means it's not happening. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's uh, I'm sure that both of you uh, may have thoughts on that as well, but that is sort of as a reporter, sort of my long winded take on on how I approach stuff. Yeah, like no, that. I'm I'm going with what you said. Honestly, I I came to writing uh, not really as a reporter but as a critic. So mm-hmm. I I've always uh, I've always been of the mindset of yeah, uh, learn, be thoughtful, think of the public good first, do no harm. A lot of medical principles yeah, actually <laughs> kind of go into if you take the Hippocratic any, oath, any ethical you know, yeah. sort of uh, decision making. So. <laughs> Yeah, the, the journalistic Hippocratic oath. Yeah, you know, there, like a like a good example of this. I've talked about this on a different podcast. I don't think I've talked about it on this podcast. But one of the earliest stories I broke over at One Up years and years ago was that Corey Barlog, who was um, God of um, War. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he worked on God of War as a senior designer uh, back when David Jaffe was uh, in, in charge of that series. Uh, he left um, after God of War two, um, and I had that information. I learned about it immediately after he put in. His resignation and um, my plan that I'd worked out with my source uh, was that I'll wait till he's about to leave or after he's left. Like I, I felt pretty confident that I had that information early enough that um, I, I didn't need to immediately publish it. Um, unfortunately, I mentioned it around the office uh, to some people that I was working on that story. Those people then went and contacted Sony. Oh, no. Sony confirmed it was true. Um, and my understanding is that Corey Barlog was uh, so upset about it that he left uh, uh, weeks earlier than his actual uh, end date because he was so upset that his teammates would have leaked that. And so that's an instance in which information backfired yeah. on mm-hmm. me because I had a very specific plan to be respectful of um, his process and him him leaving. I didn't gain anything by leaking it two weeks yeah. early, right? Like I it didn't wasn't going to change any of those two weeks. I was allow him to to leave his job and then also report on uh, a major development in in at the time was one of the biggest game series around. Um, and that story got away from me. And uh, you know, my source ended up getting like his cell phone scanned yeah. and almost got fired yeah. over it. All over things that were technically out of my control, but I you know told people about what, what I was reporting on, and I probably should have been a little more uh, careful about that. And, you know, that that uh, fortunately my source didn't lose their job. Everything worked out fine for them. Um, and I actually was able to uh, – it was funny, at E3 this past – last E3, I had a chance to interview Corey Barlog, and I actually formally apologized to him because I never had a chance to, to talk with him since it happened because I knew he did not sure. like me. Yeah, I can't <laughs> and, sure. and he had probably forgot – he had clearly forgotten me in the years since – but it was it was something that had always kind of weighed on me. So I actually apologized to him for how that happened because it had deeply upset me and was not – I at least wanted to set the record straight that I planned to report what happened to him. But I did not plan to have it uh, roll out yeah. the way it did and that had proved really frustrating to me. So, yeah. I know that we all always like joke about scoops and stuff like that, you know, hot scoops and things like that. But it's like – that feels like one of the really tenuous things about doing games reporting and sort of getting into the more journalistic aspects of, of games writing is, is man, how do you deal with sources? How do you deal with like leaks and things like that? Because obviously they're telling you for some reason, but you know, how, what do you do with that information? How do you help or potentially harm people and things like that? So it's, it's always kind of fascinating to kind of hear you talk about this, Patrick, because I know that you have uh, quite a lot of experience under your belt in, in that regard. So yeah. And you're also going to pick the next number so that, you know, that's very <laughs> okay. important. Yes. Very important. Bestowing upon you this. All right, so you in 72. Let's, um, so is the, is the order, the, the lower numbers are newer or the I older numbers? I think so, because it looks like question one here is a uh, – here, I'm scroll, scrolling right up. Sorry, scroll. Can't use that word. So I, I want to give – I want to go old. Okay. So oh, okay. if 107 is – or 106, I guess, at this yeah. point. But I guess it's probably still 107. We'll go with the oldest one. If that's number, number one. one or if that's 107. Yeah, number one, it seems to be pre-me. So I think these are, <laughs> oh, these are old. Okay. Uh, right. So this one comes in uh, from Blake in Texas. 
Subject line, game movies, why? With several question marks. Mm. <clears throat> hey, duders, vicers, vice, vice babies, two very nice guys. This is how it's addressed. I like it. So, I like it. Vice, vice okay, babies gotcha. is, is good. No, I know that. That's how you always address me. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, I'm like, hey, guys. Hey, vice, vice babies. How you doing today? <laughs> uh, what's up? What are you working on today? Uh, with talk of a J.J. Abrams-associated Portal movie in the works, the Firewatch movie announced the upcoming Assassin's Creed film and World of Warcraft coming out earlier this year. What do you think Hollywood's obsession with video game movies is? With few exceptions, movies based on games have not exactly been huge successes. Yet we have seen year after year of games being announced as upcoming feature films, many of them entering movie purgatory never actually get made. But I was wondering uh, what you thought of this trend and the reason for it. The reason for it, my friend, is money. It is a, it is a, it is a marketing <laughs> opportunity. It is a way to sell things. That is the main reason why yeah. these movies get made. They're all made in like big franchise, typically in like big franchises. It's not, you know, it's not typically like Papers Please the movie. It's it's you know something like Assassin's Creed. I guess Firewatch is the uh, the kind of the lone the, the lone the outlier out here. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, typically it's it's a big marketing opportunity. I once watched all the Resident Evil movies at the time in like 2006. I watched like all four. I'm of looking them. forward to doing that. I'm I actually those movies seem oh, they're bad. so bad. The in first a good one way. was the first yeah, one decent. was like an okay B movie sort of thing, and then like I watched a couple of clips of some recent oh. ones, and it's just like. It's 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 man. They seem to really go off a cliff and have like zero budget at at a certain point. But now I I am a huge fan. I've I'm sure I mentioned this before of just like at the point that you have six or seven installments, you've yeah. hooked me. Yep. Like I just have to know how did you do this for so long? Like what did what, what how did you possibly find a way to keep telling stories? Yeah, how stories? much blood did you just wring from this stone over you know? And and obviously Hollywood has like a much different sort of production ethic than than some of you know the game industry and so it's really interesting to see those things come together i saw one of the resident evil movies in the theaters it was the one that i think came out i don't know resident evil very well so correct me it has the like big dude like star oh that was the second one nemesis and it was tim from the l word who was who was the nemesis yes yes and i saw that in i saw that in the theaters i don't remember much of it (laughs) but apparently it was really i had a lot of like when I, i think i came out when i was still in College? It was about 2004. I only oh, yeah. know this I was in because, again, I went through all of them at the t- at yeah. like 2006 or 2007. Went through all of them. I had in a lot order. of. I had a lot of friends who were who were, uh, were also gamers, and yeah, we were like, we're gonna go see Resident Evil 2 in the theaters. It's gonna be great. And, uh, <laughs> like just really. Uh, that's always been my thing. Is I try to watch a lot of video game movies because I think it's a really interesting. Uh, way to see culture mutate between how literally for Resident Evil. Oh, literally, literally mutate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, make, Ugh, yeah. Come on, Danielle. <laughs> make the jump. Come on, I'm not going to let that one pass. <laughs> Just make the jump from how we view video games and how video games have been trying so hard lately to be cinematic as we think of cinematic so when they make that jump to the big screen what gets lost in translation what you can't do and can do with film versus what we can do with you know games and cutscenes and things like that and i actually saw the warcraft film three times i saw it once in theater no twice in theaters and uh and also streamed it as well with a bunch of my friends and that was actually really interesting because uh it was apparently made um, more for the uh, the Chinese language audience sure, yeah. than the American audience, and that's where a lot of the funding came from. And really interesting to see that on the big totally. screen, especially yeah. as someone who never played the like RTS games, because that's what it was based on is the RTS games, not the the MMO. And they got some things really right. Like, they got some things really, really right. Like, they had actual griffins that you can fly around on, which is a, more of a nod to the MMO than, than the RTS. But, like, some of the characterization was really cool, a lot of the special effects. But on the other hand, it's like, how good can you make orcs look in, in a movie and versus the video game? And, it, you know, it's always been a really interesting experience because you do have things like the Warcraft movie, which are pretty high fidelity. You know, the script's okay. Uh, but then you think have things like the... The Mario Brothers movie, which is with that beautiful production design, oh for and sure, zero logical sense put into literally any other portion. Yeah, of, yeah for serious, <laughs> like, making that movie. Like we're gonna make all of the the Koopas and the Koopalings 
actual like humans with just a lot of prosthetics. Except not for, sure. with one weird exception. Yeah, one weird exception. <laughs> it's like Yoshi was a dinosaur, <laughs> but Bowser was that dude. I mean, I think we're heading in a direction where video game movies and the video games that they're representing are starting to look more and more similar with, you know, the fidelity of like CGI and stuff that we can pull off now. You know, I, I think that's good. But on the other hand, it's like, I feel like a lot of times, yeah, the movie scripts are being written by people that don't necessarily have a familiarity with the source material. I think that's fair and, to say. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you condense a 60-hour game like Assassin's Creed into a two-hour movie? And how does that work? You know, things like that. So there's all these practical considerations that haven't really been met yet, I think, in uh, in cinema. <laughs> I would love to see a really good movie made. And I don't think it's anywhere near impossible. I think it obviously just takes that. It takes a good writer, a good director, people who understand what's cool mm-hmm. about something, you know, what's cool visually about something. I feel like the visuals in a lot of these movies are actually pretty rad. And yeah, actually they're, they're get pretty decent. Yeah. Kind of what's going on It's just the scripts often fall apart and we're clearly not. Yeah, made with the kind of love that maybe they needed. I I think the Portal movie in particular might do okay, especially with J.J. Abrams. Although, man, if it's like a a Cube-style send-up, sort of like, you know, like ridiculous, you know, traps of death, you know, that sort of thing, that might be just funny. It might be kind of cool. I I will also say I have a soft spot for terrible movies that are terrible in a a fun way. Yeah. My mom and I love to watch Doom with The Rock. Like, we just love... (laughs) We'll sit down. Oh, that first, that oh, first person oh. sequence in that game. Oh, it's a thing of wonder. Oh, oh man, it I really mean, is. I thought that that was impressive, though. At least, at least they like kind of stuck to their guns on that. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, this podcast has to end. Oh, oh, I can't go anywhere. From that is where we're going to end. That was perfect. That's it. That was beautiful. You're not allowed to finish that point. You ruined it. You're coming back many times. You've earned yourself a spot here on Waypoint Radio. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. Yep. I'm so sad that we're not streaming right now because Patrick's face is is really classic. Yeah, you know, they they may not know it, but they They can feel it. They can feel it. Yeah. Yeah, they know. Nico, where can people find you on the internet? Please, where can they find your awesome sticking to your guns jokes? Uh, you can find all my puns and assorted uh, terrible jokes at uh, on Twitter at Apple Cider Witch. Uh, you can also find me at my uh, my actual portfolio site, which is uh, ciderandlemonade.com, or any of the various outlets that I write at. So, you know. Sounds really good. Patrick, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at Patrick Club. Awesome. Uh, you can find me if you ever want to find me for the worst puns you'll ever Uh, try to stomach i'm danielle ri on twitter and everybody thank you so much for listening of course you can find all of our amazing beautiful writing our fan fiction our our writing our reported pieces everything at waypoint.vice.com digitalpyramids.com bazinga.zone new.donk.city that's our new one so i'm always like getting the rhythm down for that one uh, we are Waypoint on Twitter, Waypoint Vice on Facebook and YouTube, I believe. And, of course, thank you to Bowen for his wonderful track that he lets us use as our awesome, gorgeous, just mind-blowingly great uh, intro and outro track that is Miss You off of the EP Pale Machine. Thank you, everyone. We will be back on Friday with more beautiful Waypoint Radio. Until then, I'm going to say it. Peace. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.